you're new here this morning, you need to know that you've reached, uh, come, joined us at the last week on our series through the book of Esther in the Old Testament. It's been something of uh, a, a source of real food and sustenance to us spiritually as a church these past few weeks. And there's something of God's timing in the whole thing. And just to bring you very briefly up to speed, uh, we're in ancient Persia, about 500 years uh, before the birth of Jesus. And uh, what's happening is uh, God's people, the Jews, are living under the Persian regime and being oppressed. God's rescue plan is in the form of an older man called Mordecai and his cousin, a young uh, teenage queen in the empire. And God uses those two figures in order to bring about the redemption and salvation of his people. And we've got to chapters 9 and 10 where God has done all of this uh, miraculously. And we're now at the point where God has delivered the people. He's demonstrated incredible favor over their lives. There's just one question that remains to be answered in chapters 9 and 10. And the question is this. How will God's people handle the favor that's being poured out on them? How will God's people handle that favor? Many of us, if we're honest, know what it is to have our character shaped and formed through the disappointment and heartache of life. Yeah, Many of us, you know, if I ask for raising your hand, you'd know what that's like. Well, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that how we handle blessing and favor shapes our character too. How we handle good things happening to us, our response shapes what God can do through us. And today's big idea is this, that God wants to pour out as much favor and blessing onto your life as your character can handle. He wants to bless you abundantly. The question is, what can your character handle? To give you a little example, um, a few years ago now, one of my boys, who shall remain nameless, uh, put on his Christmas list, at uh, age seven he was, that he wanted a motorbike. And uh, so we sat down and had a chat with him about this. You know, why have you put a motorbike on your Christmas list? And he said, well, my plan is that each morning I'll be able to ride my motorbike backwards and forwards to school. Uh, and that's how I'm going to get there. Um, we couldn't help but feel there were one or two issues with this. The biggest one possibly being that his maturity wasn't at the point where he could receive a gift like that. There might be one or two legal issues as well. But his maturity couldn't receive that. In the same way, God needs to get our character and maturity to the point that he can bless us abundantly. He won't give you more than you can handle. So the question over our lives this morning is this. How much blessing can your character take? How much blessing can your character handle? And I hope you want to get as much favor and blessing from God to, you know, see financial provision and people healed and to have influence in the world around us as much as you can get for your sake, but also for everybody around you. And this short passage gives us some clues as to how you can increase your capacity for favor and blessing. Are you up for that this morning? Would you like a little bit more favor and blessing? Brilliant. If nothing else, motivated by self-interest, let's read this passage, shall we? All right, so I've got it coming up on the screen behind me. And um, it's chapter 9, verse 20. We've just got a short chunk from chapters 9 and 10. It goes like this. Mordecai, so he's one of the heroes here, recorded these events, all that's happened in terms of God's deliverance. And he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, he's the Persian king, near and far, that they should celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when the, their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Don't you love that? He wrote to them to observe the, the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor, 
skip down to verse 26. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur, which means lots, in reference to lots, the evil Haman cast. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen, and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants, and all who joined them, should without fail observe these two days every year, in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family, and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these dark days die out among their descendants. Fantastic stuff. Okay, confession time. Um, I'm, I'm a closet historian. Uh, I like, I'm a bit of a history geek. Um, I believe this is a safe place, so it's okay to share that with you. So let, let me, with that in mind, let me uh, ask you a question. I wonder if you could answer. Um, on May the 27th, 1940, just over 75 years ago, in the early days of World War II, the British High Command launched something called Operation Dynamo. Operation Dynamo. I wonder if you've got any ideas what that was. Any ideas? No? The answer is, it was Dunkirk. It was the operation to save the British Expeditionary Force that had been trapped by the Nazis on mainland Europe. In a very short window of eight days, the British Navy and military and a small flotilla of tiny little pleasure boats managed to rescue off the beaches of Dunkirk 338,000 men. It was an incredible feat. And in God's providence, the German panzers, which were wiping out the British and the Allied forces, stopped just short of the town of Dunkirk. Some say it's they ran out of fuel by that point. Some say Hitler ordered it. But they stopped just short and enabled this tiny window of time so that all of these men could be rescued, saved to fight another day. Churchill referred to it as a miracle of deliverance a miracle of deliverance for the nation. That's the closest parallel I can find to what has just happened to the Jewish people, where it's not just an army that has been rescued, but a whole nation has been rescued from certain death. Two and a half thousand years previously, Mordecai has witnessed a miracle of deliverance for God's people. They've received incredible favor from God, and Mordecai writes to them and appeals to them Will you steward this favor well in order it might then lend to further blessing? And he commands them. He doesn't call them or ask them. He commands them. He orders them to do one thing to handle this favor that they've received really well. And it's this. He says to them, I want you to celebrate. He says, I want you to celebrate. It's as if he's saying, Thanksgiving is a weapon, and I want you to use it for all it's worth. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you live in the far-flung reaches of the Persian Empire. I want you to celebrate. And this isn't just some token little gesture. It's not buy some plastic cups and some value cola on the way home from work. This is, I want you to plan it out, and one day isn't going to be enough. You need to have two days like this mahusive party that you throw money at, that you spend your whole time and effort into reveling and delighting in what God has done. I want you to get serious about having a party. You know, some of you may have come into church and you you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're honest, you've thought that, that God is some sort of great headmaster in the sky, some kind of killjoy. I want to tell you that God was planning festivals long before Glastonbury. 
we worship the God of celebration. It says in a book called Zephaniah that he dances over you with gladness. Not like the dad dance, but like really good dancing. He dances over you. He writes up songs about you. That's how much he cares for you. We worship a partying God. The message of this passage is that if you want more favor, if you want more blessing in your life, then you're going to have to get serious about celebrating. And let's, let's be honest, if you're British, a moment of, moment of honesty, this really applies to us, doesn't it? We, you know, forgive me if you're from overseas, maybe you can help us, but we are not nationally known for our effusive celebration, are we? You know, uh, we are the nation that brought you Victor Meldrew. You know, we, we tend to be... We tend to be glasses half... This says it all, doesn't it? We tend to be glasses half empty, not half full. Most of us have spent all year longing for summer and then complain that it's too hot. Yeah, don't we, you know? Is that right? You know, we, we would say that every silver lining has a cloud. Yeah, uh, that the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. That, that would be our outlook on life. Okay, so we really need to get hold of this. So what I want to do is I want to quick fire from this passage, give you a whole number of reasons how and why we should celebrate. Does that sound okay? And, and then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time celebrating, whether you like it or not, you know. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, once we're done celebrating, we'll then unlock the doors again, and you'll be free to go. Does that, does that sound okay to anybody? Yeah? You up for that? All right. Great. Here we go. Here we go. Reason number one, okay, from this passage. That sometimes we're really good at celebrating when good things happen. You know, maybe a friend gets married, or somebody passes an exam, or gets through their driving test, and yay, we're going to celebrate. In this passage... God commands his people to celebrate, not when good things happen, but when bad things don't. God commands you to celebrate when bad things that could have happened don't happen. Yeah? I mean, just imagine it if you're one of um, God's, God's people and you're living in the far-flung reaches of the Persian Empire. This decree on a bit of parchment comes through from Mordecai and you read through it and it says, you know, okay, we're meant to hold a party. Why are we holding a party? Oh, it's because we didn't get murdered today. Oh, okay, great. Oh, well, let's have a party, you know. Nobody got murdered. Yeah, great. You know, open the champagne. It's when bad things don't happen, Mordecai says we're to, we're to worship, we're to celebrate. You know, a few weeks ago, um, Emma and I were driving along on quite a fast road and um, uh, came to a T-junction and a car just pulled out of nowhere in front of us. There wasn't time to brake. We'd have certainly hit it if we had. So I swerved to the wrong side of the road and then swerved back in again. Fortunately, there was nothing coming the other way. According to scripture, that's reason to celebrate. Yeah? It was one of those moments, I, my hands are shaking at the wheel afterwards. Emma's in the passenger seat, shaking. <laughs> I wonder how many near misses there have been in your life, over your physical life, over your finances, over your family. I wonder if we will get to heaven one day and we'll see on a screen every time something bad could have happened, but God protected us. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. We're to celebrate when God protects us from bad stuff. 
God has rescued you. So we can, we can celebrate over the big and small things. You know, I, I almost left the iron on overnight, but I didn't. You know, um, uh, I, I almost missed the train, but I didn't. Um, the MOT wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be. It's not cancer. Every single one of those things is a reason to celebrate. But let me ask you, if God hadn't intervened in your life to rescue you, what would your life look like now? What would your relationships look like? What would your marriage or your family look like? What would your relationship with your children look like if God hadn't intervened? Well, right there, you've got reasons to worship. Okay, that's the first thing. God calls us to celebrate when bad things don't happen. Quickly, the second thing is this. Jews are commanded to celebrate, although the situation hadn't substantively changed. On the, if you look at the big picture, things were pretty much as they were. They're still in the Persian Empire, an oppressed nation, not allowed to have the freedoms that they would want. And Esther is still married to King Xerxes. You know, he is not Mr. Darcy. He's a cruel, vindictive man. She spends the rest of her life married to him. And yet God calls them to celebrate. What's the lesson for us there? Well, sometimes we want everything to be sorted out before we celebrate. You know, I want complete freedom from my anxiety. I want to experience total healing. I want to get totally free from debt before I will celebrate. God says, I want you to celebrate the partial victory. And maybe, just maybe, celebrating the partial victory is your key to total victory. Maybe God's saying to you, just like he does in the parable of the talents, will you be faithful with what you've got? Will you be faithful with the blessing you've thus far received in order that you might get more blessing? Okay, That's number two. We celebrate even though not everything is sorted out. Number three is this. Celebration isn't about enforced happiness. It's not about enforced happiness. This may come as a bit of a shock to some of you, but um, I'm not generally, generally regarded as a bit of a party animal. That's not really the way that people would usually refer to me. Uh, before I met Emma, I had a promising career as a hermit. Uh, I had a cave all mapped out and everything. I was all sorted. So the idea to me of getting with a whole crowd of people and just whooping it up doesn't really come naturally. You know, it's not naturally me. The idea of a kind of false cheeriness, hey, doesn't fit comfortably with who I am. Maybe you can identify with that. But notice Mordecai's instruction. Notice what it actually says. Verse 28, these days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family. The heart of celebration is not about some superficial emotionalism. The heart of celebration is about remembering what God has done. You see, I'll shout and jump with the rest of it, but the source of my expression comes from those quiet times when I've chosen to remember what God has done for me. Just give you a little example. Um, as we were growing up uh, as a family, we had times of plenty and times of uh, not very much. And uh, there were many times where it was tight with the family budget and food. So my dad became brilliant at actually making a spam pie that tasted really nice, which is a miracle all of its own. Uh, there were other times where we would have lentil surprise for dinner, and the surprise was it was mainly lentils. You know, uh, that, was, that was how life was. Fast forward to my adult days, and as a young man, I had this temptation to hoard finances, not to be rich, but to be safe. And God challenged me about it. And so what I did is at the back of my journal, I drew a line down the middle of the page, and I had my generosity and my provision page. On the left-hand side, 
I kept track of where I'd been generous to others beyond my tithe to the church. And on the right-hand side, I kept track of where God has provided for me beyond my usual salary. And over a two-year period, I kept track of everything. And after two years, I could look down the columns and I could realize that I hadn't been able to outgive God. That he had abundantly, specifically, beautifully provided for me. And so from that place, I was able to worship. People, I'm not calling you this morning to hype, but I am calling you to celebrate. Introverts and extroverts alike. Psalm 103 says this, I will not forget all his benefits to me. It's so important that we remember his goodness to us. Number four, very quickly, is this. Rest is the seabed for celebration. Uh, Festivals and celebrations were a major part of Jewish culture. They're a major part of the Old Testament. I've got on the screen here a list of nine different significant festivals that they held every year across the course of the year, including uh, ones that went on for several days. This doesn't mention, though, the new moon festivals they'd have kind of very regularly, and also the once, once every seven-day Sabbath rest. It seems like God is very serious about rest and recreation for us. If ever there was a generation that needed to learn the healthy rhythms of rest, I would suggest to you it's this one. We're going to look at this as a church over the next few months. God's really speaking to us about this. But in the meantime, if you get the chance, get hold of a book by a guy called Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy. I've just finished reading it. Crazy Busy. Uh, To be honest, it took longer than planned to read because I've been a bit busy. But it's a really good book. And and in that book, he he talks about hurry sickness of our 21st century world. Are you afflicted with hurry sickness? If so, God wants you to get through. There will always be more to do. But rest is an act of faith that God will make up the shortfall that we are not able to do. Okay? Number five is this. Yesterday's victories are there to give us tomorrow's faith. Yesterday's victories are there to feed us with faith for tomorrow. The discipline of celebration enables us to draw strength from what's happened in the past in order that we might move forward. It's a well that will never run dry in your life. Um, might shock some of you a little bit, but we have, um, as a family, stopped saying grace at the dinner table. Yeah, I know. I know some of you want to shout, burn heretic, don't you? Um, in my defense, it was Emma's idea. Um, yeah. Uh, but the reason is she came to me one day, she said, listen, Paul, I think that um, saying grace before we eat dinner has become just a religious practice for the kids, where they gabble out, thank you very much, God, for this food, Amen. And they may be able to say it in like 0.5 of a second and then dive into the pastor or whatever. So instead, what we've done now is we've stopped saying grace because it became meaningless. Instead, we'll go around the table and we'll talk about one thing that we're grateful to God for from this day or this week. Yeah? To mix it up sometimes, we'll say, what's one thing you're grateful for about the person on your left? Which with the children, if they've been at each other, it's a bit of a challenge some days, and they'll look at each other and say, oh, wish I was sat next to somebody else. But we do it, and it's been really healthy for us, because that's getting into our children a sense of celebration of what God has done. Psalm 89 says this, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. That's why the people mark these days, because this victory is to give faith to them 
but also to their children too. I've heard it said that the poor are only concerned with what happens locally, usually speaking. The middle class are generally only concerned with what's happening in their nation. The rich are concerned with, with, with what's going on internationally. But royalty are concerned about the generations to come. We're royalty, people. We need to be concerned about not just this generation, but subsequent generations, and what kind of investment and legacy we are leaving for them. Celebration passes a baton on to the next generation to say, God is good, you can trust him with your life. Take this baton and run with it for all your work. Okay. So yesterday's victories are there to give you strength and your children strength for the adventure of faith tomorrow. All right, number six is a short one. Number six, uh, celebration almost always involves loads of fantastic food. Okay, as simple as that. Uh, now, some of you have not been sure about the whole celebration thing up until now, but now you're thinking, yep, count me in, I'm there, all right? So, sure, there were fasts, but there, were more, there was more feasting than there was fasting in the Old Testament. Let me simply say this. Many people in our society worship good food or healthy diets. I say use good food to worship God, okay? Number seven is this. The overflow of celebration is generosity. Verse 25, it says they they were giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I heard this week about a young couple who, when they were getting married, they realized that they didn't want all of the usual traditional wedding gifts, you know, like crockery and engraved this or the other and silver gravy jugs and all that sort of stuff. You see, because they were involved in something equivalent to our Friday night meeting making hot food for people out in the streets or those in need. And they were part of a little community doing that. So what they did on their wedding list is instead of all the usual stuff from Debenhams or whatever, they said, what we'd like you to buy is a present of scarves or hats or coats, and I would like you to bring them to our wedding. And then when the wedding day came, they invited all of their friends from their Friday night meeting, along with all their other friends, to have this massive celebration. Except instead of waiters bringing food to the table, The bride and the groom stood there, and they handed out the food to their guests. The bride trying not to get sauce on a wedding dress and all that sort of thing. But also, alongside the food, they gave out these presents of hats and coats and scarves to people in need. Why did they do that? They did that because the outflow of celebration is generosity. You cannot be thankful to God for all that he's done for you, without wanting to share something to those around you. What's, what's the outworking of that for you? Is it that you're, you're meant to sponsor a child from overseas? Is it that you're meant to get involved in the project's big night out that's coming up? What is it for you? Because giving out actually multiplies your celebration and activates God's generosity back to you. So there's this wonderful cycle of God's favor and blessing. And then lastly, number eight, the reason why we celebrate is because we've got so much to celebrate. Just one little example. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were praying for some people through uh, our time of worship, and a bit like we were today, and I, I went over with somebody else and prayed for a lady uh, who said that she had some back problems and a, a problem with her hip, amongst other things. And we prayed for her, and there was one moment where her eyes just suddenly opened wide, and she jolted. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, she's pulled something. And she said, my hip, my hip, my hip's just popped. I thought, uh-oh, uh, that's not good. She says something about my negativity. She said, no, 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 it's good. It's good. It seems to have popped back. 
and uh, we weren't sure what was going on. Anyway, the week before last, she sends me this text to fill me in, and I hadn't realized, but it turns out that one of her legs was longer than the other. That was causing the hip problems, and she writes this in the text. I thought you'd like to know. I saw my chiropractor yesterday. It's the first time my legs have measured the same length, and he says the hip is back where it's supposed to be. Smiley face. Isn't that brilliant? We could, we could keep you here all day telling stories of what God has done. The point I want to leave with you is this, that previous generations have longed for just one of the miracles that we see now. They've, they've yearned for it, they've prayed, they've fasted, they've, they've given themselves to see it. And many people have died not seeing one single miracle. We get to see them daily now. We must not be complacent about the favor and blessing that God has bestowed on us. We stand on the shoulders of prayer giants from previous generations. We're taking the baton for that from them. Let's run with it for all we're worth. Let's be a people of lightness and celebration. Christians are meant to be the happiest people on earth. Let's take what we've got and spread it around liberally.